to reply guys we are so lucky to be joined this week by uh, someone that we are really huge fans of um natalie Wynn. you may know her from the youtube channel contrapoints welcome to the show natalie thank you for having me here <laughs> uh natalie i you know i don't want to start start off on too much of a saccharine note but when kate and i sat down and started this podcast like three almost three years ago and we had a meeting about it we had a list of of dream guests and you were you were at the top of my list so i'm very excited to be talking to you today um i'll try to live up to the expectation <laughs> but try to be dream i'll try to be dream worthy wow well yeah it's <laughs> gonna be really hard so for you but i it's yeah. gonna be yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i'm pretty nervous well, good. That's what I wanted. I wanted to Fear. first, mm. in my uh, first comment to you, I wanted to fill you with unease. Um, perfect, perfect. And I've done it. Um, but I, yeah, I've been watching your channel for many years now, and I'm really interested in the the progression that it's taken. I think you yourself would admit that it is a very different channel now than the one that you started uh, many years ago. And I think that's where I would love, I would love to start off is, you know, your videos, especially the, maybe the last five, four or five, um, have become much more kind of lengthy and conceptual, uh, and less narrow, uh, as they relate to their subject matter. What was that what sparked that transition from doing shorter videos on something like Jordan Peterson or incels to something like shame and envy and these really large concepts? Well, I think a lot of different things kind of influenced that shift. I mean, when I started, it's it's helpful to get an audience early on when you're starting out making any kind of content online to be topical, right? So you're talking about things that are relevant. And so that tends to get views. It tends to bring people in. Oh, Jordan Peterson is a hot topic this month. So we're get, that turned out to be more evergreen than I could have anticipated. But <laughs> at the time, he was a hot topic. He's still a hot topic. He was a hot topic then too. Um, but I guess I, you know, as my audience grew, I mean, a couple of things happened. One is that I could get away with making anti-clickbait. So I can yeah. make a video with a title like The Aesthetic, which is a title so offensively not enticing that <laughs> it's amazing that anyone watches it, but they do. Because at this point, they'll see ContraPoints and they'll click because they liked my other videos. Mm -hmm. So one is like having that kind of stable audience. Another is that, I mean, it's just my own preference. Like I, I think I kind of noticed also that people are, people are still interested in my videos a couple years after I've made them. So I want to make something that will be interesting to watch two years from now, as well as the month that it comes out. And 
I, because the audience keeps getting bigger because I keep, I, I want to make videos better than the last one. And so it takes me longer to make them and the videos end up longer and the project ends up bigger. And basically I end up feeling like I need to like, inca- I don't know, encapsulate something essential about human nature every single time. Which is like, <laughs> it's a horrible, horrible thing to put yourself through. And I, and I, I need to stop it. But I, I think that is how we end up with a, a in an hour and 40 minute video just that's just called envy <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that you are essentially now doing feature length films on yeah. uh essential aspects of human nature that's what it's that's what it's that's what it's that's what we've sunk to yes which um, what a what a prison of your own making <laughs> it is it is exactly that's exactly what it is it's um it's really it's really I personally hard uh yeah yeah i personally would like to see a feature length film on jordan peterson um so much i felt like you didn't explore <laughs> regarding his thoughts there's a lot oh, there's, there's a whole lot to go into for example yeah. <laughs> um, his all meat diet this was before the yeah. meat diet like, i know like, i made that video before that was even an, a aspect of his brand um i mean there's 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 been a lot of interesting developments since that video came out i also think in some ways it would be he's a less interesting person to me than he was at the time because he's i don't know he's kind of just become sort of a little bit more generic in terms of the kinds of things that he talks about. Um, I don't know, endlessly tweeting against the vaccine mandates and things. There's a thousand people doing that. <laughs> he needs a new shtick. Yeah. He needs to become culturally relevant again. Well, what was exciting um, about him to me was the and partially, partially it was the weirdness of it. The, yeah. bizarre, the bizarre claim that adding trans people to human rights legislation was going to create a Canadian pronoun jail and imprison thousands. Yep. The comparison, the, the insistence that lobster hierarchies in nature reflect an essential truth of human nature. This was all very entertaining. To me. <laughs> um, it, it, he's gotten less entertaining. I mean, part of the problem. L- Canadian yeah. pronoun jail is a classic and it'll yeah. it'll never not be a classic. It's a hit for a reason. Um, yeah, it's many years mm-hmm. later and it's still, it still hasn't come to pass. And I really think of that as a failing of Jordan Peterson's brand is that he has not manifested Canadian pronoun jail. You would think so. I mean, <laughs> to me, it's, it's, it's very maddening, right? Because I remember in 2017 when this was a thing, like it was, it was like the main topic when it came to trans people in public discourse. And it's, I mean, the main topic when it comes to trans people in public discourse is always incredibly humiliating and stupid, mm-hmm. but this one was like, <laughs> this was like really special and that I had, I don't know, I've had hundreds of men demand that I explain to them why people are being put in prison for mis- for using the wrong pronouns. And now no one, now no one brings this up. I haven't heard this talking point in, in a couple years, I don't think. But people just insisted that this Canadian Bill, Bill C-16, because Jordan Peterson said so. This, was his, this is how he rose to fame, was on this claim that this was the first sign of coming Stalinism was this bill c16 which utterly has not <laughs> produced produced anything that i would describe as stalinist um so i guess people just have don't, don't remember the things that they were outraged about three months ago that's really oh that's that's totally true to. yeah um but it, it something about some something you said about um the kind of like rewatchability of your videos mm-hmm. i think that's absolutely true um, I know that I have come back to pretty much all of them multiple times, not just because they are so dense with information in a good way, um, but I think because these the concepts that you explore in your videos keep kind of reappearing 
yeah we are we are in some kind of like cyclical hell yeah (laughs) like the same topics that were interesting in 2017 are kind of disappointingly relevant um yeah you know I mean, even the, even things that I keep thinking will be passing turn out to be like, I don't know. I didn't, I remember, I remember in, I don't know, April, 2020 being like, I'm not going to do it. I don't, I'm not doing a COVID video because by the time I'm done, this will blow over. <laughs> and I, it's now clear, of course, that, I mean, people will probably be watching a COVID video in 15 years. Like, Ugh. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. Um, yeah, yeah, I. It is. I. You know, a lot of. I feel like you know, in the in the Trump years, we saw you know all of these different, real. I don't know what to even call them. That is respectful ish, but you know, just like all of these different right wing figures that all had these like mm-hmm. pretty uh eccentric opinions you know and (laughs) now we have seen people really coalesce at least around the anti-vax um anti-lockdown thing and you know there's definitely like the the you know somewhat obvious reasons for that but i was wondering like is there anything that you think that that the discussion about why that's like such a topic for them is is missing like anything that we're not noticing about why they're doing that well i think for a long time they've been a political coalition in search of a cause right they've been like victims in search of something to have been victimized by and i think this is more plausible than i don't know purple-haired campus activists or uh pronoun jail or the war on Christmas, <laughs> or like, like any of the other like causes that they've decided to take up as being the most important thing in America today. Um, Antifa, oh. critical race theory. I feel that, I'm, I mean, it's, it's easy to have a sense of genuine persecution when it comes to the lockdowns because it is in a way a limitation on our freedom, right? Well, I mean, we all feel that our freedom is limited by the pandemic. Right. Um, so I think that's maybe a more endure, enduring s- s- source of, uh, a persecution complex. I mean, you have to explain your persecution complex somehow. And I think that's a better explanation than is critical race theory, pronoun jail, or the war on Christmas. <laughs> I do. Maybe it's just because it's the latest iteration, but I do have a, I, I do have an uneasy sense that I think the critical race theory, uh, anti-critical race theory madness will be sticking around for qu- quite some time. Um, it, and I don't, I don't know. I, again, it might just be because we're living through it right now. But the war on Christmas <laughs> stuff feels like so silly in comparison, uh, and we can laugh at it now. But this is like, I mean, these are like major decisions made about school curricula across the country. Yeah, I mean, the critical race theory thing, I feel that that's just like the latest renaming of the exact same debate that's been going on for decades. Mm-hmm. Like, there's always some version of the complaint, like militant Black activists have taken over <laughs> college campuses. And whether yeah. that's, you know, whether the complaint is about, oh, that you know, they're, they're like, well, the, what was it in the 90s? Like, oh, they're, they're destroying like the Western the civilization curriculum, or they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to make us teach Alice Walker or whatever, like, or no one's, they're going to take Shakespeare off the hooks, or whether it's Black Lives Matter is taking over the campuses or it was critical race theory. They keep coming up with a new terminology, but it's the same like fundamental moral panic. Mm-hmm. 
just taking yeah taking it's, on a new name it's pretty uh <laughs> i don't know i mean it's it's pretty it's pretty wild um like the extent to which you know these people are uh, you know, perceive themselves as, as victims, but I was wondering, you know, has, has anything changed about the way that you would engage with these right-wing figures now that like Trump is out of office? Um, do you think like liberals perceive this stuff differently at this point? Um, yeah. Open-ended. I mean, I, I think I, I, I've kind of stopped engaging with them. Honestly, I think is, is kind of the answer. Like, there was a time I was much more direct in terms of oh, I'm making responses to, I mean, not that I ever expected that Ben Shapiro or Jordan Peterson were going to, um, we're going to, you know, be swayed from, or, or obviously that's not the point. Um, but the point was that like people in the, a lot of people, you know, I cannot tell you how many times, like I've been in an Uber or something and the Uber driver tells me about like Ben Shapiro or whatever, the like, amazing <laughs> debates on YouTube, like, um, like, I don't know, there is a lot wide population of people, I think, who, for whom like Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro, these kinds of figures have a, like a huge appeal. Um, so I, there was a time I had a sense that like, oh, it was worth it to like be a voice speaking against that. But I think a lot of things that have happened that kind of makes that less interesting to me. And one of them is like, Maybe it's just fatigue on my part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think like there's only so many years of this that you can do before you just like can't take it anymore. Um, the other thing is I got kind of, ex I've, I've kind of gotten exhausted once again by um, my own team, <laughs> if you can call it that. Um, I mean, I think that part of the fun to me of being on YouTube in the early days was that I was kind of, surround I was in I was in the lion's den you know like and I guess to me there was an interesting challenge to that like okay how can I make content to appeal to these people um but now like everyone's making leftist content so it's not it's not special anymore <laughs> <laughs> well I, th I think I mean I, I can see what you're saying I do think that it's clear that there are different tiers of people making leftist content. Yours still reaches um, probably like the broadest swath of uh, of people of all political stripes. But it's interesting. I, I've also been I've also had Uber drivers talk to me about Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan or just like playing Joe Rogan. They're playing it, playing it. Yeah. yeah. And that honestly makes me just feel like we've collectively have lost because those are mm. the you know those are the people who i wish would be like kind of in solidarity with one another and trying to like you know in in a, a leftist utopia like yeah. organizing for uh labor rights and things like that but instead you know they're uh ivermectin pilled and <laughs> Yeah, it's I don't know. I, I like I I was thinking about this, too, because something that you um, and I, I'm sorry to bring up Twitter, but it's uh, it's we you know, 
it's where we live and i'm i'm really sorry i know that it is a bad place oh i can't um, keep away from it myself so I know, by all means i know well i know that you you know you you famously espouse the the eternal wisdom never tweet yeah, the, but the much um, ignored <laughs> i know <laughs> i know i do the same thing but yeah. um you tweet a lot about the kind of like circular firing squad of the left, which is something that we discuss a lot on this channel, on this show. This is not a this is a show. Make sure um, to smash subscribe. Uh, smash yeah. that like yeah. button. Um, thank you to all of my viewers. Um, but I, so I guess that the question about the circular the circular firing squad on the left has to do with like is that just a function of the fact that we're losing <laughs> uh no i don't think so no i well I, I don't know i mean i do think that it okay maybe maybe there's a version of it for the fact that we're losing like the, the fact that there's it's kind of a, I mean, Twitter is especially bad. And I think one reason it's especially bad is there's kind of an absence of powerful, competent organizers and leaders. So mm -hmm. I think that without organ, I don't know, organizers, I mean, talk about like getting rid of hierarchies all you want without organizers, we're a mob and yeah. mob dynamics are dysfunctional and ugly. And like, I feel like that's what goes on on Twitter. There's a lack of focus there's no one kind of keeping everyone's eyes fixed on the important things. Um, and so attention sways to things that are maybe not super important um, or things that are just completely not the topics that we should be doing discourse about at all. Um, I also find like t Twitter, like just impossibly seductive somehow. I don't know why I can't look away from it. I know that it's hurting me and I can't put it down. Well, that's and the there must that's be like the people car like that. crash. Yeah, yeah. 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 that's it's the dark really magic bad. of Twitter. Yeah, everybody. I think yeah. I think all of us who are on it, you know, they say that <clears throat> it's like ninety percent of tweets of activity on Twitter is done by ten percent of users. It's like th those of us who are just on it all the time. That is like the dark magic of Twitter is that it it feels so bad, but it keeps you coming back. It's very addictive, yeah, it's and like I've seen you know. Yeah, I've seen multiple people close to me destroy their lives with Twitter and uh, not even same, other people same. destroying them. Self yeah. self-destruction. And you no, know, it's very sad. Well, and usually, yet I still yeah. go on there every day, you know. Yeah, there usually is an element of self-destruction when people are destroyed by Twitter. Um, I mean, I think it's complicated, right? Because I guess the one way that when we talk about like the cancel culture story or, you, you know, you bring up Justine Sacco or the usual examples where, yeah, occasionally people are sort of destroyed by Twitter, but oftentimes it is the person who is being canceled's addiction to showing up yet again to defend themselves and yeah. to rail against the critics and to quote tweet people and to double down and triple down and quadruple down. Like that's ultimately they use it's like self-harm self-sabotage like it's because i think if you just moved on a lot of times the fact I that think, you had um, one week you were canceled wouldn't matter mm -hmm. yeah it's um you know i know that this joke is is a little hack so i'm not gonna say it as a joke i'm gonna say it completely sincerely but i do 
believe and have my reasons for believing that there are some people who are engaging with this platform to participate in a public humiliation fetish of some kind, you know, and that it's like, I mean, could be sexual or not, but there's like a, some people have an appetite for it, no doubt. (laughs) Yeah. There's a, there's like, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's erotic or exciting or, or something to be, to, to have that experience of annihilation. And I don't know. I don't really, I don't think that I have that, but I do know that I can't always look away and that it feels very bad. Yeah. It's well, it's I mean, going on to logging onto Twitter. I mean, at this point, like we all, I, I'm vocal about the fact that this is self-harm and I'm doing it anyway. And so the, <laughs> the, like the vibe is very much of like walking yet again into like a drug den with, yes. uh, with like all the familiar people. And you all know that you're there because you're ruining your lives, but you can't stop. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we know, but we can't stop. So. And also that, and there's it's like a kind of comfort in that there's like you see people you know and you're like oh we're all here again better well you're here you're here too so i don't (laughs) want to hear anything about it yeah it's like an AA meeting (laughs) like we're all just we're all here for the same Um, reason no one's in a position to judge yeah i'll get so mad all day about you know like most of most of the things that make me really mad are like leftist takes that i really don't agree with um some of the ones that have been pissing me off lately are like you know, there is absolutely no reason that schools should be open. I don't think schools should be open, but I think to say yeah. there's no reason, really, none. I don't know. Yes. Like to me, that like really makes me mad. You know, uh, another one that's been pissing me off lately is that we will undo capitalism through polyamory. Why can't we just have relationships with people in the way that we like to have them? And also, I don't know. Strengthen our labor movement. Why? And I'm like so fucking enraged about this stuff all the time. But like for what? There's four people who think this shit. Yeah. Know? Well, I feel like every gener I feel like every generation of like radical countercultural activists has this subset that thinks that their own personal erotic liberation is going to <laughs> Like bring about like freedom from all forms of oppression for yes. all people. Right? Um, That's absolutely true. Yeah. And also all the different Look. when people try to make polyamory into everything, it's like you can be polyamorous with with platonic uh, friendships too. And I'm like, that's just having friends. You're yeah. just yeah, describing just... having friends. You can have more Look. than one friend, and it's that's not poly. That's just. That's just touching grass. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to, I don't mean to be like selfish or whatever. If it mm. comes out that if I get two separate boyfriends who both play Settlers of Catan, if that will end capitalism, I will do it. I yeah, am not, just, it just I'm honest, might. I'm committed yeah. to the cause. But <laughs> That's a cross I will also fall on. I, you know, if, yeah. if I, if I see some compelling empirical data about about that sure i'll give it a shot but yeah i i do think that i think that's the polyamory example is interesting because i think that that has morphed into there are so many different ways where people act like this thing that benefits me specifically will benefit everyone and will (laughs) lead to the downfall of capitalism and that is just we gotta take a step back yeah, it's, I mean, it's cute that they think that, like, I, I don't, but yeah, I know it's, I mean, it, I don't know, it, it reminds me of, there were like some like second wave, femi- like lesbian feminists who thought that like women, fucking women 
was going to be like the end oh. of patriarchy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and political like, lesbianism yeah yeah like it, it was i, I mean <laughs> i'm glad i mean like i think that they were i think they were having fun but i also think that like <laughs> they're having fun <laughs> that's not gonna do it it's just not you know i mean well because i mean i understand that the personal and the political are intertwined but like personal liberation is not always the same thing as 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 completely abolishing all structural forms of oppression it just isn't in fact um, it's rarely that it's it's, it's, it's never once been that Um, people do that i mean like even without sex like you know let's let's take sex out of it like i you know i spent a long time living in the bay area and one thing that I found there is, you know, and this feels very sort of like direct chain from the 60s is that people really believe that like, you know, sort of participating in their own uh, transformational processes, either through like meditation or psychedelic drugs that like, if enough people did that, that that would like lead yeah. to uh, liberation for yes, everyone. I- Right, doing shrooms. That's that's gonna be the thing. That if, we, if more people just did shrooms, there would be no. Yeah, I mean, there yeah. are absolutely still people who believe that. Absolutely, of course, yeah. And I am one of them. Yeah, I, I, I've bought shrooms from some of them. Yeah. 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 I mean, Kate, Kate, and I. That's something that we we we've gotten our fair share of angry emails and replies uh, anytime we at all discuss the polyamorous community because they are a vocal bunch um it and i don't like i have been in polyamorous relationships i don't think that there's anything bad about it i just don't and i think that all sex is wrong (laughs) i'm from kate's from the bay area i'm from boston that's my culture please respect it sex is wrong and we were born in debt to the lord traditional i've been Boston trying to Puritanism, get Juli- yeah yep yeah i've been trying to get julia into political lesbianism for a long time and she's not going for it it's, it's she well. cares about her boyfriends mm-hmm. but I, I i mean i have had sex with women before and it i again i was led to believe it would it would lead in the destruction of patriarchy and i was sorely mistaken sounds pretty counter-revolutionary <laughs> Yeah. Having a boyfriend, I don't know. Having a boyfriend is counter-revolutionary and it Pretty is capitalist. It's really it <laughs> being in a, monog- a monogamous heterosexual relationship is ultimately the greatest form yeah. of you're, tyranny. You're, you're turning the gears of, of capitalism. That's right. Um yeah. I'm basically indistinguishable from Jeff Bezos <laughs> in society. And Jeff I have Bezos to own that. is I have polyamorous. To, I have to own it. Oh my god. Jeff Bezos is polyamorous. So is Warren Buffett. Oh. I mean, I guess all these people probably are, right? Like Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, what is the definition of poly? Like, is Hugh Hefner, was he polyamorous? Like, it's like Yeah. Yeah, he definitely was. Swinging. Right? I mean. But no, well, no, he, he, like, he was swinging and polyamorous. I don't know. He was, but he was, but none of the girls were allowed to be polyamorous. So he was allowed to fuck all of them, and they were not allowed. I don't know. Did anybody else watch that E show about them, the Playboy Mansion in the early aughts? I did. I don't think so. so. If <laughs> okay, I'm I alone. Be- before we get you know fully canceled here, I guess I you know so <laughs> if if our uh, 
you know, if leading, you know, authentic and self-actualized lives, well, a very noble goal is probably not going to lead to any structural change. And, you know, we are in this place of like sort of leaderlessness right now, especially uh, post the, um, you know, post the uh, submission of our boy Bernie to the Biden administration. Mm -hmm. Um, What, like, I don't know, I guess, how do you feel like leftists can um, act and organize in the most effective way right now? Um, I wish I had a better answer to that question than whatever I'm about to say. (laughs) But I guess I think, I mean, I don't know. I think that there needs to be another Bernie-like figure. Um, There needs to be more people like that for movements to kind of coalesce around because I guess I'm pretty, I'm pretty like, I guess black pilled about (laughs) the prospect of like, I don't know. I don't think YouTubers and Twitch streamers, like, I'm sorry, but we're not going to do it. Podcasters, tweeters. mm, It's not how it works. Someone has to get into government somehow. Oh my God. This is horrible news. Yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's just what I think. Wow. Well, you heard it here first folks. This is awful. I mean, I think either that or we can give everyone else. Yeah, 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 we could try that. Just put it in the water supply like a Batman villain and yeah. see what happens. <laughs> no, I think I think that's totally true. And I think what's going on in the UK uh, with the Labour Party is kind of indicative of that as well. Um, they had, you know for decades had kind of coalesced around a Jeremy Jeremy Corbyn or a Jeremy Corbyn like figure figure and since he's been ousted from the party and it was taken over by Keir Stammer uh it's just kind of floundering um what is i mean i what is going on over there i you've i know that you've made uh you made a a feature-length film about J.K. Rowling, but and they yeah. do seem to have the loudest and most numerous turfs. But you also have how like, did it become turf island? Like what? I don't know. This, I'm trying. I heard it was because of a website. What happened? Mumsnet. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but I think every country has something like Mumsnet. I mean, I feel I feel like in the U.S. it's just Facebook, but but um. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't have an authority. I don't really have an authoritative answer as a non. English person myself, but I feel like part of it has to do with that, like, in like the English as a people don't like sex. They never have. It's just, it's, it's, you know, it's just, and that trans people remind them of sex and <laughs> they don't like it. So, I mean, I mean, if you look at like, like the, the British empire basically exported extre- like extreme homophobia all over the planet. Like in Africa, countries that are former British colonies have more or more likely to have homophobic laws than French, former French colonies. And like, I, I mean, I don't know. I just think there's this like very like vicious, like, repressive like sexual conformity there and like trans people are kind of like visible deviants Mm -hmm. and they draw the wrath of whatever this sick impulse is um that's just like uh, was one explanation i'm sure there's more to it than that um but yeah they do they really i mean i guess it it probably it must also have to do something with the structure of the english press 
the tabloids there have always been especially awful and vicious. Um, they've kind of taken up trans people as a topic of the year. You know, I think that, I mean, I think that like JK Rowling, for example, I think her opinions seem to mostly be secondhand and have been sort of like, I mean, she, like, she, she seems to have been provoked by seeing these news stories that are running at a high frequency, like, that are, you know, just amazingly <laughs> awful. Like, Do you remember the, um, when Cardi B had, or no, it wasn't Cardi B, it was Nicki Minaj had um, the, like, my cousin's friend uh, said that the the vaccine made his his balls huge or his something his testicles up huge and his and his, uh, yeah. his fiance broke off the engagement <laughs> yeah. right. his, his, his engagement was ended by his giant covid vaccine balls yeah every, every yeah. that is if you how... don't love a man when his balls get big do you love him at all you know <laughs> if you can't handle him his <laughs> swollen vaccine testes then you sure as yeah. hell don't deserve him that is but that the way that Nicki Minaj tweeted about that, like the just the overall sentence structure of how she presented that information, is how I feel every time uh, J.K. Rowling says anything. Yeah, it's, yeah. it is. Yeah, the, the trading in like non sequiturs and rumors and my friend has a friend who was yeah. fired yeah. because yeah. she said women yeah. are women. <laughs> Right. And none of it like really checks out actually. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. Well, it's a lot of like free association too between like, I don't know, like they had the central like emotional core of this essay that she wrote, which is like the most verbose thing that she's yet produced on the subject. Like the, 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 the emotional core of it was like, I was sexually assaulted by a man in the nineties. And like, I really had intense flashbacks to that when I saw that Scotland was, what was it again? Oh, allowing trans people to change their legal gender. I don't know. I just don't. I I, I feel that that it's a the causal relationship between these things is is at best very tenuous, and I feel yeah, that, and that's that's a that's gen that is generous. Yeah. There is. I mean, it's, we can go ahead you, and say non put those things. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I I feel comfortable saying that because when you present those two uh, events next to one another, there is no connection. Yeah. So it's like. I don't know. It's, 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 well, I made a 90 minute video about it. I don't know. I spent, I spent entirely too much time yeah. think, thinking, thinking about this, but yeah, there was a, there was a time I was kind of hoping that she would kind of snap out of it, but I've given up on that. It's kind of, there's been the anniversary uh, of Harry Potter for the first Harry Potter movie or whatever. And they've done all these like promotional things. They had a big reunion with the cast and I can't imagine I don't know. I don't know who's watching that at this point, but it's it's so heavily colored by her personal co politics now. Um, I, you know, I know some people who like some, you know, fringe diehard Harry Potter Disney adults who yeah. like are like, I'm selling all of my books and DVDs. Yeah. I've seen that too. I mean, it's like yeah. really, it's it's a, a really kind of a breathtaking like devotion to trashing a pretty great legacy. Yeah. 
Yeah. And she's, she's like, been, yeah. she's been, she's stuck. The thing is like, there's so many chances at times that she could have just, this is part of what we're talking about. We'd say just people destroying themselves on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many times when she could have just moved on. Right. Um, and it's now, but she's like, she's so devoted to tripling and quadrupling down. And at this point I feel, I mean, I feel like, you know how like people talk about like what is it, like the sunk cost fallacy that yeah. gamblers do yeah. where you've already you, you're you're down eight hundred dollars you can't stop now because you have to win <laughs> it back or you can't admit that you fucked up that bad I feel like she's like she's like engaged in a kind of like moral sunk cost fallacy where if she changed her mind now she would have to admit that for the last few years she's been using her giant platform to basically promote bigotry and yeah. I don't think she can I don't think that's a fact that she can ever accept. And so she has no choice but to continue, um, but to continue seeking out confirmation that she's actually totally correct. And and I would have to imagine that her inner circle is solely made up of people who affirm her yeah. beliefs, and that just happens anyway when someone has that level of unimaginable wealth and privilege. And it kind of reminds me of your something that you touched on in your video about envy which is just that like these public figures like your kim kardashians or your jamila jamils and they just can't help themselves they can't stop kind of detailing things that they should maybe keep to themselves in in any other universe and they're not exactly they're not exactly parallel but i do think that there is some connection some like absence of shame or lack of self-awareness well i think yeah i mean i think there's definitely a big difference between like oversharing about your vacation and like being like i'm yes. afraid of the transsexual yes and this name must be banned but like uh, i think like uh yeah i do think that like oftentimes i don't know people i mean because jk rowling i mean it's been decades now that she's been a superstar like, I think that on some level, you kind of can't help but lose touch a little bit with, like, yeah. the way that the things you're saying are going to be received by ordinary people. Um, I mean, I, I, I've already found, I mean, not that I'm, like, J.K. Rowling famous by any means, not even, not even remotely close, but I don't know. I have enough insulation from the problems of a lot of people in, in America that... I do kind of worry about myself becoming, I don't know, assuming the characteristics of this, some kind of like detached, oblivious aristocrat because of my like, you know, lack of having a normal job and things like that. Um, right. And that was, risk. that seemed, that seemed to be kind of an undercurrent in the, in the video. Yeah. Did it's, you... something, <laughs> it's a background anxiety. Yeah. 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 But like, you can also, I mean, it's like, I mean, you know, to kind of tie this back to Twitter for a second, I feel like you can become quite detached, even if you're a normal person with a normal job, just from like seeing, you know, just from like being online and just kind of like, you know, you're sort of seeing people post this stuff that they would never really see in real life. And like, you can be leading a super kind of like go to your job every day, hang out with your friend's lifestyle and still end up with like a really detached and weird conception about the world. And so I I do think that it is J.K. Rowling's class privilege is certainly part of it, but it also seems like maybe, you know, just going down this like weird path of like 
radicalization where, you know, just seeing, you know, someone post some fake story about, you know, a bad experience they had in a bathroom or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. There's an amazing like shortage even of those stories though, is a thing. It's like, like I, it's mostly seems to be like speculative, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, just like, what if this happens? Yeah. Right. It's, it's like, it's an imagined fear. Like they imagine that something could happen. Though no one really yeah. seems to have a lot of instances of it happening. But yeah, I think the like problem, a- um, the the problem with the way that the algorithms work is even though those um, instances are exceedingly rare in a lot of the social media platforms, if you, it keeps showing you more of what you, what it thinks you want to yeah. see. So they talked about this a lot on uh, the New York Times podcast rabbit hole, but it's the exact, mm-hmm. I think in which you were you were featured, but um, yeah, oh, I think. Yeah, you can get like pulled into these like outrage spirals where, I mean, outrage generates interest. Like there's, I don't know, there's again, some kind of addictive quality to, to feeling your sense of outrage provoked i mean fox news has always worked like this right like mm-hmm. the, the i mean we were talking about the war on christmas the critical race theory. <laughs> these like these like boogeymen that are kind of manufactured and then broadcast to an audience that you know they know what's what's going to bother them often in in the united states when it's conservative media it appeals to this like sense of like you know embattled like whiteness under attack mm-hmm. that a lot of people have um, a lot of it's like backlash, right, against social progress. I mean, I think a lot of the anti-trans stuff right now is backlash against the fact that trans people in the last decade are much more visible and and normal in society. And a lot of people are not comfortable with that. And they feel attacked in these complicated ways by it. And so they create boogeymen to provoke this like latent sense of outrage or this the sense of um fear that it kind of needs to they need to they need a pundit to articulate to them why they feel the fear and so these people will step in to do that and that creates content and yeah right i mean the the, the rabbit holes there's something i mean that's the way conspiracy thinking has always worked is that there's something exciting about feeling that you're uncovering the truth by go by doing research online and you know, you know you can get into QAnon or you can get into some kind of really deep like deep like turf thing through through this like i think it all kind of works the same way yeah and when you know with like anti-vax yeah, uh, yeah. people a lot of them say i've done so much of my own research okay thank you thank you doctor long nights, long nights of googling <laughs> a glass of whiskey by the computer monitor yeah that's what i that's what i do uh i mean yeah. that's yeah. what we all do but i also feel that like i'm aware that, that this is not science no i know <laughs> that no of course yeah yeah, yeah. it's, they don't it's, seem it's to be so aware funny of that. no yeah. no they don't well, because it's like these you know these are health guidelines that are even if it's not the cdc which i can see being like even somewhat distrustful of considering how much back and forth there has been with their guidelines but like when the plurality of uh like epidemiologists in this country are suggesting something to then be like i've done my own research and i'm good (laughs) right yeah 
Dude, have you seen these videos where like uh they are uh people get the the vaccine and then they just like immediately start shaking like no. there so there's these so there i've seen a few of these get retweeted it's my timeline mostly with people making fun of them so what happens is someone gets the vaccine and then there's a person that just goes into like this fit of like just their whole body shaking basically like faking uh, clearly faking like some kind of seizure yeah, yeah. that happens immediately after the vaccine and then you'll see all of these like right wing responses like i'm so sorry this happened to you you know and it's just i mean it's completely wild it's 100 percent pretend i remember a case i remember a case like that from like 2009 or something there, there was it was like a cheerleader who cheerleader for some reason as a protagonist always gets more attention um she, <laughs> she, she, she like got a flu vaccine and then went into some kind of comical parody of convulsions and like this was reported by like i don't know a lot of like fringe news networks but i think well it's, it's yeah i don't know sometimes i think these people are absolutely faking sometimes i wonder if they even know that they're faking because there's like psycho psychosomatic things that's a yeah, real, oh, it's like totally a religious thing, thing. Like yeah. speaking in tongues, speaking or, in tongues, yeah. being touched yeah. in spirit. And I think, I don't know. I mean, what is it about vaccination that seems to trigger so much fear? I guess it doesn't help that it's a needle, right? There is like, right. like there's something kind of symbolically <laughs> invasive about it. And like a, a foreign, like, you know, contagion being injected into your body. There's like feelings of like mm, penetration and like feelings of infection. And especially if you're like yourself kind of uneasy about it and the government's telling you, you have to do this. Like, I get why there's this anxiety, um, but the anxiety is producing uh, symptoms that are, <laughs> see, seem like they're maybe more psychoanalytic than they are physical. I, I do think yeah. that we, you know, we, the next person we interview has to be Nicki Minaj's cousin. Yeah, I think cousin's yeah. friend. You, you, you better get Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend on to talk about this. Uh, Actually, just his gonadism. Yeah. 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 We can have a separate inter interview yeah. with him, but I want to, I'm way more interested in having his giant nuts as a guest. <laughs> has, has anyone claimed yet that like the COVID vaccine shrinks men's penises? I'm sure they must be saying this somewhere. I really want that to happen. I don't. I really want like. I don't want to give them ideas. Well, I mean, well, it's kind of yeah. The the whole like it uh, fucks up fertility yeah. in men and women like that. I've seen that uh, a bunch of different places, and that is kind of men are. I mean, and women, but like yeah, even guys who probably like in their heart of hearts don't even think they want kids they're like my fertility i need like yeah. don't What's... not not yeah. my sperm <laughs> yeah, kind of, and, uh... it's kind of just like virility and like yeah potence and masculinity like yeah uh... <laughs> yeah and i mean not to be uh exclusive in the way that we talk about this I, it's just that only cis straight people are making these kinds of claims nobody else is Doing that. Right, because um, because it's the, because it's their particular sexual neuroses that are being right. triggered. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I hope um, I hope it sterilizes me. Honestly, I think yeah, that, that would, that would be, be a fun. That would be so good. A real trooper. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. I'm already about as sterile as a petri dish of isopropyl alcohol. So, I was like, <laughs> no, not really, not really a concern here. 
So I, you know, one thing I've really admired about your videos that, you know, is, is I think connected in many ways to what we're talking about is I, I do feel like you are presenting more like nuanced takes than often occur on Twitter. And, you know, some of it is the format that you're not like saying what you have to say in a tweet. Some of it is just that you're really good at that. But, you know, I think like, you know, even in a video about JK Rowling, who sucks, of course, like, I think that you were more generous to her than, you know, I personally feel like she even deserves, but, you know, I do think that there is something when trying to uh, understand people even who have abhorrent viewpoints that it's kind of impossible to understand like how they arrived at that without without empathy you know and i do think that it's like we were talking about the like joe rogan uh car dudes earlier you know the joe (laughs) Joe rogan car dudes well there's certainly yeah i mean i've run into many equivalents of the Joe Rogan car dudes. I think a lot of people, I mean, especially like, I mean, I know most of the people I know, honestly, to be honest, my parents' generation are kind of like, wait, why is everyone mad at JK Rowling? Didn't she just like, yeah. wait, she just said that, 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 that men and women exist. And now that's apparently like super politically incorrect now. I don't understand why I'm, why she's being attacked so viciously. Like, I think that's a pretty normal opinion for people to have. And so I guess when I make a video like that, I have a sense that like, um, it's not helpful to and just come out with like, oh, she's this horrible person. Like, how could anyone say, you know, like, well, you're just attacking the people that you could potentially be reaching if you do that, right? So yeah. me being charitable, very charitable to JK Rowling, it's not really about, oh, I'm, I'm so worried about her feelings. I need to be nice. It's more like, what well, I mean, I mean, people are going to identify with her in this situation yeah. because she's a beloved author people there's this she has this reservoir of affection from from so many people i as a trans person am gonna be to to most people i'm not gonna be easy to relate to Mm -hmm. i'm like this weird outsider to them who's making all these crazy demands that they change the way they think about such fundamental things as gender and so i realized that i'm not at a rhetorical advantage here so i i feel that the only way to navigate this situation is to be like is to is to be extremely patient. Um, obviously, like that's not necessarily a personality trait that I'm just gifted with, um, because I I think in private, you know, I don't I'm not infinitely patient with people who are saying horrible things about me. I'm not, but I'm able to like perform that level of like superhuman patience when I'm creating a video essay. That's one of the advantages of the format to me is that because it's scripted, it's not a live debate where someone's saying horrible things to my face. I can. I get to act like we all kind of wish we would act, mm-hmm. right? With like an with an ex, like an extreme level of stoicism and patience when it comes to this kind of thing, which like of course is not really in the normal human emotional repertoire when you're on the spot, right? And that's kind yeah. of been the practice of your channel since the beginning, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. When your work was more focused on, kind of, I know that that it's been often reported uh, that the the focus was quote unquote de-radicalizing the alt-right but it doesn't seem to me that that was ever your like expressed goal it was just to it seemed to me like it was just trying to meet these people where they were at and break down their arguments and expose the fallacies within them 
uh, yeah, in like an when honest, they were, uh, kind of on the level way. Yeah, well, yeah, like when they're doing. Oh, I was just going to yeah. say, sorry, I was just going to add just also like, I, you know, I feel like when people were in the process of like, quote unquote, doing their own research about this, you know, these issues, like it was super helpful yeah. that one of the things that they ran across was like a reasonable and compassionate source. You. Yeah, well, I think that like going back to 2017, it was like a scary time in that I felt like, I mean, right wing figures pretty successfully were like leveraging like anti-feminist backlash basically mm -hmm. and they were using that as a kind of you know gateway to more and more extreme right-wing politics um, because there was like so many of these guys on the internet who were just like, so bothered by you know, video game feminism it's gonna take away the video games or whatever it was they were worried about <laughs> right i mean that's kind of how it started and then it quite quickly escalated to like the white man is becoming disenfranchised right you're natural like it just it got extreme fast and got kind of kind of like a little bit like fashy <laughs> and i mean it was, that, that was scary to me yeah, I, it was like I was. It was scary, like the way that this was like quick, very quickly escalating into something resembling far right nationalism. Um, but I also kind of had a sense for the the way that you know these were not people who were just like committed racists in the way that I don't know David Duke is or whatever. <laughs> if there are people who are getting sort of enticed into this by these these like to them, I guess, reasonable sounding people playing on these fears about their, their, their existence as men in society, right? Which to, to them was scary and confusing and they felt being attacked and calling them, calling them misogynist shitlords or whatever we, we used to say in 2016, like that's not really, it's not going to help. Yeah. <laughs> so I did think like, I mean, by all means do that on Twitter if you want to, but like, but you know, that's, you're doing it for your own emotional satisfaction, right? It's not, <laughs> yeah. it's not activism to me. It just, just seemed like, like there was a, a vacuum that needed to be filled. Like someone should attempt to kind of, deal with these topics in a way that would maybe not be so threatening. And um, of course it's hard when like literally anything you say will, will, will trigger their sense of being threatened. That's mm -hmm. usually how this yeah. works, right? Yeah. Well, the reason that I brought up the like Joe Rogan people and the discussion we're, we're having about empathy is because it's like, you know, I do think that a lot of people see someone like Joe Rogan getting yelled at online for saying something yeah. like it's okay to ask questions about the vaccine yeah. which is a claim that on its face seems like oh of course it should yes. be okay to ask questions why can't you ask questions right. and then people do you know identify with that or you know or just like it's i'm trying to think i i'm not like a huge joe rogan uh, listener, but I feel like, um, you know, a lot of people <laughs> really? before, I did, well, I did listen to the episode with Bernie Sanders and I, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I, I absolutely loved it. Joe, there are people who are very wealthy and they are, <laughs> and Joe was like, Whoa, what? It was amazing. I loved it. But, um, it was, you know, I, like, I think that, I mean, like, 
people who are on the left um, have, you know, had uh, probably it, you know, either either got that way because that was, you know, the case in, in their families. Their families were, you know, left or very liberal or whatever, or, you know, they have the opportunity to be exposed to certain ideas at a point in their life, you know, and um, I think it can feel intimidating for people who are like I don't know I'm, I'm excluding the like hardcore committed right-wing people I'm talking about just people who are kind of like apolitical it, I do think that there is some legitimacy to the claim that like you know you can get like yelled at really fast for saying the wrong yeah. thing even if you're not trying to be a jerk and I I don't really know because at the one on the one hand I'm not you know I, I don't think I think like tone policing is real and you know, nobody should be told that they can't express their anger, particularly if they're a member of a marginalized group that is being shit on all the time. But at the same yeah. time, I do think it's important, you know, in, in kind of like organizing and bringing new people in to, uh, you know, be sort of, I don't know, willing to like explain, no, here's, here's why people get upset when you say something like that. These are, these are the thoughts behind it. You're not a bad person. Just like, here's, here, here's why that bothers people. And I don't know. I mean, the discussions about it on the left, kind of excluding the right, I think, um, tend to, in my opinion, fall into either the direction we will only um, ever win over the white working class if we say the R word and other slurs or... <laughs> You know, yeah. or like, you, you know, we they, they, there's there should be no sort of thought to, you know, how we talk to people whatsoever. That's just more oppression. And it, to, to me, it's like obviously not either of those things. So I, I was wondering where you kind of like fall on that, um, you know, just yeah. where you fall on this issue. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you about like, I don't know, I don't necessarily want to go to like, like you say, tone pleasing everyone on Twitter. Like I, I it's Twitter. I understand that people are going to be that way. I feel like I've developed a sense of fatalism about that and have moved on. Um, <laughs> I've been, I, I, I do think though that like rhetorically, if you're interested, if, if, if doing this kind of outreach work is something that interests you, it is kind of important to acknowledge like how central the experience of being scolded and yelled at is to people's opposition to the left, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. It's like the number one thing that like gets constantly brought up and seems to motivate so much of the, of people's um, negativity, right? And I think that I don't know. I can I can like I mean as as a person who gets who's yelled at all day, I feel that I can to some extent kind of like form a kind of empathic connection to the experience of being woke scolded. Um, oh yeah, I get yeah. And like, I mean we've all, we all. I'm sure get no shortage of that. And yes, it's very, very annoying. Um, but I feel like also forming your politics entirely as a reaction against these annoying people yelled at me. Like, I don't know, that's not really what I consider to be informed, nor is it like the great, the, not really a really good way of deciding what you think about social issues. Um, yes, being in, yelled at is annoying. Yes, there are activists who are very annoying granted <laughs> but that's not the end of politics right? right that's not even the beginning like it's just an annoying thing that happened to you and but i, I do think that it's it, it does in fact matter um so 
it's, it helps to be able to kind of acknowledge this experience that a lot of people have. And that's, that is something that does matter to a lot of people. Right. And I think that there is, you know, what you were talking about with your, your parents' generation being confused about JK Rowling, I think that's actually like a really large swath of America that doesn't understand yeah. um, why or it's or it's framed to them like oh she just said that men and women have biological differences or yeah. something like that and there's nothing controversial about that but it's you know you actually i think you to like paraphrase you um in one of your videos said like yes it's objectively it's an objectively true fact but what is the story that you're trying to tell with it um and i think that that's where people are kind of led astray um well it's i mean there, there's rhetorical cleverness on that side too and, and i yeah. think there's definitely a parallel here between jk rowling saying or, or people saying about her like i'm just saying the fact that mm -hmm. there's biological differences between men and women that is kind of the equivalent of we should be allowed to ask questions about the vaccine like yes but is that all you're saying mm. is that really all you're saying yeah. <laughs> and i think if you probe a little bit uh, like uh, not like other people who are the high profile exponents of these facts like no that's not all they're saying right they're saying they're they're saying furthermore that they think that there needs that there needs to be like robust systems of social discrimination against trans people that keep trans people from integrating into society they're saying that um you know, not only should we be asking questions about the vaccine, but that they're trying to sow considerable doubt and hesitancy about the vaccine when the science is pretty clear on its efficacy and safety. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We did an episode about this with the host of the podcast Conspirituality because I, uh, yeah, there's someone who I went to high school. I feel like everyone has someone they went to high school with who is now like been radicalized in the wrong direction and Chris, yeah <laughs> she uh yeah the way that she talks about and this was like a totally smart girl um she i still still think she is you know i i'm very surprised that she has kind of uh fallen down this rabbit hole but it started with like the whole like wellness her, her like involvement in the wellness community it's it's a gateway for sure i know yeah. Um, but yeah, the way that she talks about it, she's like, this is the biggest hoax and the biggest, like <laughs> the biggest dupe that the American system has ever pulled. I'm like, honey, Na there's been, there's been Naomi a lot. Wolf was like, right? <laughs> like, she, like, this is yeah, like a, yeah. an intelligent, oh. educated person. Really oh. R.I.P. Yeah. I actually saw her speak once in real life, way before all this COVID stuff. I went to a conference on uh, orgasms, clitoral orgasms specifically. <laughs> Wolf, yeah. But, uh, yeah uh, and uh, she was there talking about vaginas, you know, I didn't, um, she seemed a little hippie, but like not, I mean, you know, it wasn't a, a conference about, uh, Clitori? Is that a clitoris? Is? I don't know. I've never really talked about it in plural before. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, I, I guess like, you know, 
back to this discussion just for a moment about like kind of empathy and reaching people. I mean, I was talking, I did a lot of canvassing for Bernie Sanders and I'm super glad that I did that because, you know, it was very much like asking people like, oh, okay, like what are the political issues that are important to you? And they would say, you know, like, I really don't want my brother to be deployed. And it would be like, well, here's why I think that Bernie Sanders would be the least likely to deploy your brother. And, you know, even if that person voted for Trump last time, straight up, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. I think that it's, I mean, to me, like online leftism in general, there is, there does seem to be like an absence of like kind of, uh, I don't know, or organizing principles. I, I mean, I, that actually means something different, but like, you know, kind of like a, a drive to sort of like bring people in, communicate new ideas. And I don't want to blame the left for that because obviously like, you know, media, cable news, pe- papers of record and all that shit are, are like promoting very different ideas that it's like hard to overcome. But I guess just like, you know, if you have any sort of like advice for like, just you know folks about how to sort of communicate um leftist ideas in a way that can sort of get people to be at least curious or open-minded to it i know you're you're really good at that so well i guess to me I think that emotion is really the driving force of political opinion. I think that like, I mean, I also used to canvas as a long time ago. It was like the 2012 Obama campaign. I was doing knocking on doors for that. And I definitely had the experience where like the organizers would tell us like, don't talk about facts and figures. Don't talk about policy, like create a personal story and then connect with someone as a person. And at first I kind of scoffed at that. I was contemptuous of the idea that it's just going to be all this like mushy, like emotional manipulation. Like really, that's what you want us to do. But like, they're, they're completely correct in practice when it turns out that if you show up at someone's door and you have a list of Obama policies that you think are good, they're bored and hostile immediately. Yeah. But if you have some kind of story about how your aunt has cancer and like, you know, Obamacare allowed her to get care or whatever, like it just creates this connection that with someone that they're much more likely to respond to as if, they're engaging with another human being. So I guess when, I mean, there's different types of situations. Are you really having conversations with people? If you're having conversations with people, then simply yeah, creating that kind of interpersonal connection um, that is like honestly way more valuable than any kind of like logical or like fact-based argument. It just unfortunately is the way that people think. And when it comes to like producing I don't know, an essay, an article, a video, whatever it is, like argumentation. I don't know. Try to try. I always try to look at what people say online about politics and try to like identify, like, what is the underlying feeling behind Mm -hmm. these, these beliefs, right? What are they afraid of? That's usually what it is. Fear or anxiety, right? Outrage. Um, What what is behind these positions? And then try to kind of find a way to sort of acknowledge the fear, but all but also like maybe sort of detach the fear a little bit from what it is that they're claiming is the logical consequence. Totally. I think that the, you know, the calling what people want to talk about kitchen table issues is not a mistake. You know, mm-hmm. at most people's kitchen tables, they're not uh, going over the, the stats and the facts and figures. People, you know, I've... 
I knock doors for Bernie. I knock doors for like local candidates here in Brooklyn. And mostly people want to be listened to. Um, and they want to feel like you're a real person. They want to, they don't want to feel like a robot is on the other end of like, just trying to win your vote. Like, like you're trying to, like you're asking them for money or something like that. Yeah. Um, they want to feel like a connection and they want to feel understood. Um, and that's why I've, you know, when I've done canvassing before, I've, found that a lot of the people who are like immediately kind of like hostile and dismissive just assume that you're that you don't want to know anything about them you don't care you don't actually care about their lot in life and they are like shocked if they find out that you do it actually um this is maybe not the greatest comparison but the way you were just describing this it actually kind of reminds me of like police interrogation tactics Where like you like the first I mean sorry I, I'm like I've gotten like this like sick addiction to true crime co- content and COVID but like there's all these like YouTube there's a whole genre of YouTube videos now about like criminal interrogations police interrogations but one of the things that the, the, the police will do that is incredibly effective at getting a person to talk and open up is this rep- kind of rapport building of again making the person that you're talking to feel like you care about them and you care about what they have to say and you're like willing to hear them out and like listen to them that like hitting that moment creates a kind of bond that really causes people to open up whether that whether they're opening up means confessing to a crime (laughs) (laughs) or listening to what you have to say um i mean i think that that's how human beings work right we're not robots who are digesting facts right we were (laughs) you know like there's there's like norms of like social exchange that that that's what causes connections between people to happen that is a scarily apt comparison (laughs) uh yeah no that's it's totally true a lot of times they like police my parents are obsessed with that show the first 48 Mm -hmm. so every time i go home i have to like passively watch hours of it and that's it they always like get the person a cup of coffee or a meal a classic yeah um we love that and yes no it's totally true but um but yeah in canvassing you you get to use that for good i guess yeah i don't know <laughs> um, we should we should probably wrap up because i know i know you got to run this has been such an amazing uh conversation it's been so great talking with you um what uh, where can our listeners find you online they probably know that's like a really silly question in this case and some instances but just in case where can they find you well my youtube my youtube channel is called contrapoints or you can probably find it just by searching natalie win I'm, I'm contrapoints on twitter and instagram too if you care about that so <laughs> you have great <laughs> outfits on there i follow Thank you, you. On and you. your Some your makeup is always oh, snatched Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I haven't I haven't been posting as much on there, but I don't know. I just suddenly got indifferent to it, but I'll probably go back to it. Um, well, Natalie, yeah, thank you so like, much. Yeah, thank You're you so welcome. much. And I was thank just going to say, me. I feel like the the, the it's it's kind of weird to post on Instagram sometimes now because it's like there's not as much stuff to be doing. But I just want to <laughs> say, and, and I if said, you are doing even stuff, if, like. Sus- yeah. Suspect. Well, yeah. But just, if, you know, if you want to post, just uh, literally just 
different uh, fashion choices. I completely support it. And I love That's that. kind of what I've been yeah. doing is, is a lot of like, if you look at yeah. my posts from the last two years, it's a lot of essentially playing dress up in my room. Yeah. What else can we do? Yeah. yeah. That's so, so many of us have yeah. resorted to that. Yeah. And we don't have, you know, I, you have like such a beautiful like staircase in your background always yeah. not, you know, I say, keep, keep doing lighting. it bisexual yeah, lighting. lighting. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's a lot of like, I'm not going anywhere tonight, but got dressed <laughs> <laughs> just to, you know, these little uh, rituals that make us feel human. Well, thank you so much, Natalie. And, uh, we really look forward to your next video. Thanks. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. For having me on. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Reply Guys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians, with an additional episode uploaded each week. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Framgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, O-H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can, of course, also find our reply guys. They're always with us. Bernie, take us out. Walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land.